You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome back to the Break It Down podcast. Okay, so we finished our, you know, go through of the EP on the last two episodes, if you didn't catch that. And now we're going into the new experiment. This is what I think is going to be really fun is we're going to go through... We're going to start with Devin and Toby. I. We're going to incorporate more people, but we're going to go through an archive Emory story. I don't know if people will find it inspirational or funny or quirky or useful, all those kinds of things. But to me, the the idea is to just try to archive our memories and stories and get clarity and perspective. Now that we have a you know twenty year past, it seems more important than ever to me to analyze that and learn from it. And it's also a little fun to reminisce and to capture things before they're gone. Because there's a lot of insights. I think it's true about everybody. If you go back and look at your past soberly or in reflection or in reflection with other people, that can be very, very useful uh, as opposed to simply superficially nostalgic. I think there's some, some, some deep reasons to do that. And if it's not too self-absorbed or self-indulgent, then you may be able to take the ride with us if you find Emory's history interesting or what touring is like or what touring was like back in those days or getting a band off the ground. Anyway, that's the endeavor. We're going to cover our songs and what we were thinking when we wrote our songs, and we'll eventually do breakdowns of all the Emory songs that exist in this uh, canon that we're going to do. So this is maybe a several hundred episode endeavor. So we're going to take our time pace ourselves. The episode we did tonight, we didn't get all the way through and we had a technological hang up and it just dead ended, but that's okay. The scene and setting that you'll be dropped into is me and Devin and Toby and some other characters in about the year 1998, 99, trying to figure our life out, music, uh, to have an identity, to build friendships, to make a future, make a living, build a life, make families. It was, it was, it was that time of our life that we embarked on the Emory adventure, and in no way did we think it would continue anything outside of a couple of years or a few years, and here it still is. So seems worth thinking a little bit more and talking about, and if you're interested, I hope you enjoy the ride. Uh, we possibly will even change the name of the podcast. I don't even know, but we're going to hunker down and do this for a while. But uh, as of now, we're going to break down Emory's history and story and songs on this podcast. That's what it kind of started out being. And I think we have good success with that. I think people seem to like that. So we will figure this format out as we go and probably become better at storytelling and being organized. But all we can do is jump in. So let's do it. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Yeah. Well, I've got the opening like this. I've got once upon a time, there yes. was there were in Rock Hill, South Carolina in 1997, there were ah. two 1998. Let's just go 1998. There were two bands. Emory, I'm sorry, Emory was not one of them. There were two bands, Satchel and Joe 747, and mm-hmm. there was I've got no local music scene whatsoever. No internet or anybody owned a computer. No, we didn't have any gear. We didn't have any money. We didn't have uh, the ability to play music well. We nope. did not possess fans. There was no music or rock or emo or punk culture whatsoever. And right. we the only thing we did have was disapproval. Yep. From our the, God. 
from both our God and the music we were trying to create. Nobody appreciated it or approved of it really, yeah. really at all. So that's where that's where it begins in uh, about 1998. Is that, am I correct about that? Yeah. Now I want to yep. clarify something here. Y'all always say Satchel, but it really was simply Wayne. I mean, y'all mm-hmm. just out of nowhere yeah. changed changed your name to, to Satchel, but your band was always. I mean. The most we time, have been simply Wayne's for the previous several years. That's kind of a backstory thing, which yeah. we can do. We got well, time. I'm just saying, like when you say Satchel, I don't even know that band Harley. Nobody that, really cares. Well, anyway. we wanted to break the Simply Wayne's tag, I think, and it just never. We wanted a cooler name, and it just yeah, we simply wanted Wayne's a better name like than Simply Wayne's. You know, at the bar. Well, so it we was know. a restaurant in Blue Ridge, South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> We should have just called ourselves Tabs, because that's what it was before that. Tabs yeah, would have been, oh, what a cool band name, especially because yeah, bands use Tabs. But the origin of that band, if you want to go a quick backstory to that, is it, we've been doing stuff our own way f- from the very back at the beginning. We were in Blue Ridge, South Carolina, and yeah. we would get together on weekends in my parents' garage and save up money to try to get a bass amp, to try to jam, to try to get Seth to come over, to try to play a Weezer cover. He could play the intro to Smells Like Teen Spirit, and it seemed cool. And we were right. just trying, you know, we're doing stuff like that for a couple of years, and we named, we had a band, we wrote songs. It's the only band at our high school, Devin and Seth and I, and uh, we... You know, started playing a band just for nothing, just for no reason. I mean, just there was nothing right. we, at all. And then uh, we got to college and got exposed to more stuff. And Simply Wayne's was a goofy name, and we were just we had no <laughs> no abilities or talents or hardly anything. I don't think at the time. Right. And uh, we met in college when we went to Winthrop in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Toby, and Toby was what? Like you didn't have a band. I mean, I was like a local hero, is the way I would describe myself. But. Um, <laughs> No, yeah, I didn't have no, I didn't have a well, I had a band with Joey mm-hmm. who was it wasn't a bass player and I convinced him to he should play the bass and he started teaching himself and he bought a little cheap bass and a cheap amp. But yeah, I just But I why mean, did I you was, say have a band when you just wrote songs you were writing songs and cuz I wanted somebody, to play your I wanted to play, play bass and you called that a band? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were two people. So I well, also I knew if him and I got some songs together at some point we could find some drummer and then we'd at least be a three piece, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I mean, once once I started, I mean, meeting y'all y'all around the same time, y'all were all playing music too, and y'all were already in a band. So I was like, well, I got to be in a band. Well, too. And, and Joey loved music so much. I mean, with yeah, emo and indie stuff, it was like, well, it kind of made sense. He just didn't have the the talent for it. Yeah, like I started a band with definitely the least talented musician of any band that you would ever start with, <laughs> for sure. Like I had some talent, and then I was like, well, you're my friend. So, and I, I mean, it, yeah, that, I don't want to jump ahead, but wow, we dodged a bullet of him not being Emery's bass player at the moment, <laughs> at the time. That's a little, that's a little, uh, teaser there in the future. You'll find out more about Joey Svensson being Emery's bass player. But right now we're talking, yeah. So it was me and Joey and we would just, you know, I was trying to write music and I think he liked it. I, you know what? I still don't totally understand when I think back to those times, of writing music, like you guys were definitely way more influenced by like stuff that was on the radio at the time. It wasn't mm-hmm. like hugely right. popular, but you know, y'all were y'all were more familiar with like I never listened to Corn before y'all. I never listened to I never listened to Deftones before you guys. Like none of that stuff was a, at all. And I mean, and then obviously like you guys, I can remember y'all telling me about Creed 
And, <laughs> and, and when, when, when Creed came out, it was actually good. Like people, were, this is actually yeah, pretty. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like it was, it wasn't a joke band at all. It was like, hey, this is kind of this is kind of awesome. And so you know, and so you guys opened me up a little bit more to that. But like, that's what's funny is I don't even know how really I got into writing rock music because all all I ever listened to was like not not that much rock. I guess I mean maybe. Uh, the most rock I listened to was like Weezer and maybe Stone Temple Pilots or you know stuff like that, but uh, I didn't really listen to anything y'all were listening to. And then I guess Joey, after we met and started listening to some indie music, and then I guess because of Joey too, y'all kind of even maybe you think Joey was an influence to move y'all a little farther to the indie music side. Oh too? yeah, for sure. 100%, so why, yeah. why don't I play a little bit of what Satchel, okay. which was formerly simply Wayne's. Oh, song. this is awesome. Oh, I'm excited. I, I what, track, so what track do you want to hear? Ah, I don't even know. No, negative nine. The first one. <laughs> I'll just play the first one. Yeah, here. play. All what right. was the first one called? Uh, I don't ha- I have it as track 01 here. I forgot the name oh, of it. Oh, uh, yeah, I can't remember. Uh, Planets. Planets. Oh, what a good song. This is a great song. This is what we were doing in 97, 98. Oh. Sounds like noose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not bad. I'm gonna skip it around. Here's a little screamy. That part was cool, man. <laughs> yeah that's it so we were doing that was the first track on that so that was pretty good stuff but that that's what we were up it's, to at the time it's funny because i remember the lyrics ronnie wrote all the lyrics and he was like mm-hmm. a poet so mm-hmm. they're all like real poetic and not right. like rock not personal at all, really yeah yeah it's just funny i mean they were good but they were just different yeah we we hadn't thought of you know we didn't understand emo wasn't really in the vocabulary or like no. personal lyrics and doing that kind of thing we hadn't even really discovered yet which is kind of kind of cool um and then joe 747 i'll show you how what song should i play from there toby this is uh, what toby ooh. was doing gray is a nasty color is such a good song but that's a little bit more poppy you want something more emo uh, oh, I don't care. The, I would want to make something that's like funny bad would be kind of fun interesting oh, to do maybe here. psycho yeah. <laughs> well, here's Psycho then. So this is kind of this is when uh, so Devin and I started playing with Toby and Joey because we thought this music was kind of interesting. It had this emo vibe to it. And we were kind of attracted to it. On the day I was born, 
did you waste your time? And all this is recorded on an eight track uh, digital recorder kind of thing we, we used at the time. So the recording wasn't too good, but it's kind of neat. Where'd you find these at, Matt? Uh, Joey sent me these Joey. tracks. He had it. Nice. I want you to send me all those so I can listen to them. Somebody said we should release those in uh, Emberland. You want to hear Nothing Affects Me, some of that? Yeah, let, hear I Joey want to hear Joey scream a little bit. This is yeah. our earliest attempts at doing hardcore stuff and screaming. <laughs> I'll fast forward in a second. I always like the song a lot. Potter's, is it called Potter's Field? Is that right? Toby? Do what? Sorry, I was listening that, to the... I, oh. I always like the song... Potter, is it called Potter's Field? Yeah, uh, yeah, the Potter's Field. Yeah, I like that song. Okay. Yeah, we were a little more on the... It was like some kind of weird mix of pop and indie music or something. It was indie. I remember we got on, so we, we recorded that, and then we got on, we sent it in to Blue Velvet Records, and we got on their compilation. Y'all remember that? And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, we're, we're making it. This is it. We're on some Y'all compilation. Breakdown. Yeah. Here, we yeah, comes yeah. A, here comes what we thought was a heavy section there. All right. That's Joey playing bass, and Joey's going to scream too, I think. <laughs> That's Joey. My Aria Pro 2 guitar, Cray Amp. So you can hear a little potential, maybe, is the best you could say about it. Wow. <laughs> That's cool, man. Everybody's like, man, I kind of like this, actually. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, there's some neat uh, energy to it and stuff, of course. It's yeah, immature, yeah. but I mean, that's what... So the point of this is we were trying to do this kind of music. We had found it uh, when we had, you know, every day we would just f try to find music and try to wire an amp or try a new thing or do make right. flyers or try to get people to come to a show but our shows were stuff like i mean this almost sounds good in a way but it doesn't really let you know that there was nothing it was no scene it was in a total void we could play in a bar until two in the morning and play covers and, and play some of these songs it, we weren't playing punk rock shows there weren't any right that's there the thing any there, was there nothing. weren't any they didn't have them. We just had stumbled into this kind of music and we're trying to convince our girlfriends and aunts and uncles to come watch us play it and they hated it. And I can see why, but they, they hated it. <laughs> right. Yeah, everybody yeah. wondered why in the world would you do this? What, what? I mean, like, 
especially like for Devin and I, our voices were in choir. We're getting solos in the choir and all this stuff. And they, people are like, why in the world would you do that? That like, that's not good. Like, they, they, no. Nobody thought any of those songs were anything good. And, and maybe they were right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, but they didn't even see potential. There wasn't even a chance anybody saw, wait a minute. This is what you are right now. Wait for a year or two. Maybe you could be something. You know, nobody because saw there was that no other bands though. I mean, and we did. We were existing in a weird vacuum at the time. We weren't even. It was. Right. It was really about nine. This is you know some of this music was written in ninety eight or so. It wasn't until ninety eight ninety nine until we started seeing bands really play real shows. Do you remember right. that first exposure to like yeah. seeing punk rock shows for real? Like, oh yeah, like Tremont sure. and stuff. What do you so rem- awesome. What do you remember about that? Well, I remember the the venue Tremont, and that was the place to go. And you just saw these bands, but I can just remember, like, I mean, y'all. That's what I'm saying. Like, I remember y'all. What was uh, Stained is one of the first ones I saw there. And that was because yeah. of y'all. And I was like, yeah. I'll check this out. But that literally did help me understand a little. Bit. I was like, Whoa, this is something. There's something here. Like, that's the first time I started really thinking about production and what it means. And then, honestly, even though it was a way smaller show, I remember seeing Juliana Theory in that side room. Yeah. And they they were already using tracks, and, and and I was like, whoa, this is unbelievable. The way this band sounds is just phenomenal. This is crazy. Like what they're doing is something that I don't know. And then of course, hopes fall. Seeing yeah. hopes fall just yeah, lose their shit on stage was unbelievable. So we basically found a venue that was a real venue in college, and I'm and we had this kind of explosion of culture at, right at this exact moment. Some of this music that I showed you it actually is probably later than our exposure that we're talking about now. We Toby and I bought skateboards at KB Toys when we were twenty and tw- twenty years old in college, and tried to learn to ollie. Yep, we can't and we went to our off. first punk rock shows when we were twenty in college, trying to write music, and we found we found it. Like we moved from a small town to a kind of a bigger town where it was a college town, and then we could drive right. to Charlotte where there were punk rock shows, and it was real. And I say yeah. punk rock now, that wasn't the term I would have used at the time. I didn't have a term at the time. Indie, I don't know what. Right. And so we saw Hopes Fall. And when we saw Hopes Fall, um, that was a big one because they were a local band and they were unbelievable. They would get to open some of these shows. Like we saw Juliana Theory and Zayo. And they had a following. They had a local following. Yes. I mean, people it was, showed uh, up it was crazy. Show. We just had brushed into it. It was like, wait a minute, this band's from here and they're this good? And people like them and know them. And I remember seeing them for the first time and they were playing. It was before No Wings to Speak Of even came out. It was when they were just a local band yeah. and they had an early album or demo. And they were doing this thing where they would have clean guitar and singing and it was pretty, but then they would scream their head off and it was emotional. Right. It was like they were slinging their guitars around and all this stuff. I just remember seeing that show in the small room at Tremont and I went home and said, well, I have to make something that feels that way. I've got to right. make something that feels exactly like that. And that's when that night is when I had made the first attempt at what became Walls was that from that experience. It's crazy. And <laughs> so then we turned that into a Joe 747 song. It was just a riff that we thought was, I don't know what we thought about it, but we put it on the, the Joe 747 recording that we were making at the time, which we were making ourselves on a digital eight track and had no idea how to record or what we were doing or anything like that. Um, let me see if well, I can play. Well, well once again, there was nothing to compare it to. And we, I mean, for no what idea. we were doing, it really was better than everybody else. Like if you think about right. anybody else that had a demo or a recording, some of the, there's even a few other college bands. I thought what we were doing was like, Whoa, this is, we're really doing something here. Like the way 
we're recording all these instruments and the vocals and sometimes doing do- all the all the things we were doing. I was like, "Whoa, this maybe we're." But all it wasn't something. even slightly. Po- it wouldn't be popular for another seven right. years, like, right? To anybody. Yeah. So we right. thought it was cool, but it right. was going to be another seven years or decade before anybody that likes it now would even kind of know what it was. But anyway, the the very first iteration of Walls was this riff, and we just made it a pretty short intro but this is the first iteration of walls this is our 20 yep. years is what i think is cool about it is yeah. 20 years ago we came up with this that is walls that i guess still pays the fucking bills today I right don't know. <laughs> i still it play the song people still talk about the song i get money from it it's i guess our whole career was made out of that kind of that yeah. moment of seeing hopes fall and getting some inspiration trying to copy it horribly but then eventually, you know, we'll get through. You got your money's ball. worth on that ticket, my friend. That was a good ticket. Yeah. But here, here, here's our first, here's our first attempt at trying to do something once we became inspired and had seen a scene and, and everything right. like it. We like to do very, not a lot of vocals. <laughs> we yeah. eventually fix that. I know, isn't that funny? <laughs> we just thought this would be good. People would like this. But this is the finished version and the opening of the Joe 747 uh, right. demo album. This yep. is the album. First song. Man. That's Devin on drums. Yeah, baby. Man, that is that is so funny too. Thinking Devin on the drum, yeah, and that was just in our you know we had a house in college. We did that. Came up came came up with that. So we were seeing bands like Juliana Theory and Zayo and the Deep Elm bands. Hope's Fall. We saw Sunny Day Real Estate, and this all happened in an explosion for us right around nineteen ninety nine, which is I think that's so cool. Twenty years ago, and we had that same that inspiration right that, and so because of that, so now we're into our story frame. We said. Once upon a time, it was that way. And then every day we would do that stuff until one day we saw these real bands. That's how the story goes. And then because of that pivotal moment, you see, we began to take the Joe 747 thing more seriously. Because at that time, Devin and I had been in this high school band for a long time and we were real serious about it. 
but we're very interested in what you were up to and Joey and that whole thing started to become really interesting. But we felt loyal to our band that we'd worked hard at for a long time playing covers and bar shows and stuff like that. So it right. took a while. But after seeing what the real scene was like, we started to take Joe 747 more seriously and even our band. And we said, wait a minute, there's a scene this exists. This, if this is, exists in Charlotte, then this exists everywhere. If it's, it, there's a, and these bands aren't big, but they're doing it, and they have fans, and it's working, and it's worth doing. Let's do it. That would be fun. And I think that's been a big theme for us is we've just always done what we think would be satisfying to do. That's what I mean. It wasn't any potential for it. It didn't seem like there was any potential, but there was other bands that did it, and it looked like it'd be fun. Never could have imagined it'd be a career or anything just if these bands can get fans and play and play out of town and play shows with other bands and do this we got to try so then do you remember when we said well then we need to start a record label and book a tour was the next thing we <laughs> yeah. thought after we yeah. saw a show <laughs> sure sure shot record. start a record label tell, t- 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 tell me what you remember about that so our, our first conclusion after seeing a couple of shows was well we need to start a record label and go on tour that was yeah that was it. yeah I don't remember well, why we both thought of our we needed to start a record label. Why? Because we didn't have label? one. <laughs> we just thought we had to be on a label to get shows and yeah. do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah like we it, thought if it, we made a label, it legitimized so we then we could get a show. Right, right. So no, we make yeah, the label. I, yeah, yeah. We thought we're if we say we're signed to Sure Shot Records, then that then even if they don't know who it is, because there's a, maybe there's a billion record labels out there that that means there's some money behind <clears> us. Maybe that we have a fan or two. Maybe there's promotion. So maybe somebody would, you know, want to do that. And then And how do we book shows in those days, Toby? BYOFL dot com or dot or I can't even remember. I guess it was dot com. BYOFL book your own fucking life dot com mm-hmm. is what it was called. Yeah. And it was a it was a bunch of different uh somehow somebody collected, you know, different clubs or bars or places to play, and you just would go on the website and then I don't even think we emailed them. I think it was calling even. Yeah, even it was all on a website. Oh, it was yeah. all calling. Yeah, it was. It yeah. We just we always the website for, was for to get phone numbers, and we didn't to have get the phone. Number. I think we had a laptop then. I had a computer by right. that point, but it was just like there was nothing there. But you get on Napster, yeah. and you could find phone numbers on it. And BYOFL had phone numbers, and you would call a promoter or somebody <clears throat> a bar in you know right Jacksonville and just. Say, and I was, I, I was the big pusher for that because I was just like, we, if we go on tour, it'll make everybody think this is real and it'll mean something to everybody. Because, you know, we were just, I just thought this will legitimize us. Like, this will make us a touring band in a sense. And I can remember just calling all these different places in the South, uh, like uh, Florida, Georgia, even Alabama, um, North Carolina, all those places, <laughs> and just trying to book some shows. And uh, what was really funny is this is how bad. If y'all remember where our we were in Rock Hill, South Carolina, do y'all remember where our very first show was? No, was it was, it was it in Miami? It, no, it was in Miami. We drove all the way. Oh yeah, to, yeah. We drove Little Haiti. Oh yeah, yeah. Little Haiti was the very first show at Churchill's. Uh, Churchill's. Yeah, at Churchill's, which we still play at, which is hilarious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when we go back to Churchill's, we got a gig now, at a real place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't know <laughs> it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody was there except for Joey's brother and his wife. And I, I mean, no, we but got literally, paid. it was our first gig out yeah. of town. We booked it. It was in Miami, was, not even Miami, but yeah. Little Haiti. It's a little place Haiti. called Churchill's. So and it's far. a real venue that we still play today. It was really cool. But why would anybody there come see us? Right. We just, our two I thought, bands. Yeah. I thought if you're booked, well, then you, yeah, I didn't even, you know what's funny? 
is even thinking back to then, I didn't even realize like local bands or anything like that. I did when, once we didn't were on that know. tour, but I didn't even think about that. Like they had a draw or anything, even though we had played with some local bands. I didn't, I just figured, oh, if you get booked, then there'll at least be, you know, 30 to 50 people there. That's just what yeah. I thought. Like, and so yeah. we booked that right. our, fir- our very first show. I can, remember, I mean, we were in Little Haiti and it seemed kind of scary. We're just these idiot uh, kids from South Carolina and, in a caravan of uh, yeah. cars with two bands and, and three cars. And, and I thought, and we were supposed to, I was try, I tried to negotiate like getting paid and we were supposed to get every show like maybe 30 or 40 bucks or something like that. But obviously nobody came and the the lady at the bar was like, hey, I, I uh, actually, hold on. And she gave us like three cans of like beans or something like that. I don't know if y'all remember <laughs> that. Shepherd's but I got pie, to, I think. Yeah, she yeah, 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 shepherd's, shepherd's pie. pie. And uh, there was but a guy was literally there. literally just Joey's brother was the, and his wife were the yeah. only people that watched us play music that night. Yeah, and they had to they sit through both of our Pompano full bands. Beach or something. I remember one of the shows that we thought was like ended up being awesome was in Orlando, where we show up at the place we're supposed to play. Basically, the 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 place's marquee, the sign is like, I think it's like looked like it had fallen down or burnt it down. Burnt it didn't down look, yeah. The place didn't even look like it was open. Yeah, and so we get there, and the, the bartender's there. Some eventually, and we say, "Hey, yeah, we're supposed to play here tonight." He's like, "Yeah, okay, you know, set up or whatever." So we set up, literally nobody shows up at the time the show's supposed to start or even whenever the bar's open or whatever. So it's just the bartender and we're like, screw this, we're out. So we pack up our gear. Toby manages to talk the guy into giving us like $30 for gas or something. And these two girls pull in the parking lot as we're loading our trailer and our our gear and she said, they say, hey, what are you guys doing at the show? We were going to come or whatever. And then they tell us about an open mic at a place down the street. So we drive about a mile or two down the street and it's a biker bar and there's all these open mic. Yeah. Yeah. Open yeah. mic, and all these biker people and we go in and it's like a lot of people there and we're like, Oh, this is awesome. So we, all these people are playing like acoustic, like Eric Clapton. Right. <laughs> and we pull in these huge, like rolling half stacks. stacks and all this stuff and play full on like rock music. And they, for some reason, most of the people there loved it. They thought it was awesome. Sold yeah. CDs that night. <laughs> the only the only bad part is I remember the one girl as we walked outside, she goes, Why y'all got to play that heavy shit? Yeah. She's mad. <laughs> right when we walked out the door. Mad. Yeah, they, that we but that was one of the better rock. shows of the tour. It was at but a it was biker an open bar. mic and we didn't get paid yeah. and we got to play like three right. songs. That right. that. But we sold like five CDs or something. Yeah, I don't. This is funny. This must have really left an impression on me this tour because I'm remembering like my brain doesn't work this well usually. But like, so if y'all remember, we also played over in Tampa, and uh, we played this weird little coffee shop, and and Seth's drum was right against the 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 front window, and he was hitting when he would, you know, he was tapping it. And but three three you know buildings down or whatever was a real punk show that was happening. You remember that punk band? Mm -hmm. I I wish I could. God, I could remember their name. We met them. They're a real band. They were nice. I was like, "Whoa, this is really crazy." And then uh, we also, in I believe it was Tallahassee, played a uh, I want to call it like at the time what it was called it was like alternative library or something. Yeah, but it was yeah. it was like LGBTQ mm-hmm. like artistic kind of play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was L- everybody there was like LGBTQ it was like a bookstore. And, yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. And yeah. but it was it was a good show. Like there was a, like several people there, and that's where we saw what was the name of that awesome that math band rock that we band. Ivy Labs. Ivy Labs. Ivy Labs, yeah. And I was like, whoa, this is really crazy. And we got to play that show. So here's here's the other thing. So we're coming back up out of Florida. Most of our shows are in Florida. And we go to Athens and we play at a little bookstore there, if y'all remember. 
Mm-hmm. We played at a little bookstore. Nobody was there. The uh, the guy that booked the show was kind of cool, but nobody was there. It was supposed to be a little bit, but I was like, man, we're in Athens. This is really cool. I think that's the only time I've ever been to Athens, by the way. Now, that show, nobody shows up, and by that point, all everybody but me kind of wants to call it and just go home. That's right. But but we have yeah. another show in Alabama, and I'm tried to convince everybody, but nobody wanted to, and we just <laughs> that's where the tour ended. We're like. Y'all were y'all chose right. It was just costing us money, and there wasn't anything. But I was like, no, please, there's one more show. We booked it. What if that one's the one that's amazing? You know what I mean? Like, like what <laughs> we've if we've had all strikeouts so far? Yeah, right, right. Like we did, we basically did like all eight or nine shows that we hustled our way into booking, and every one of them was an abject failure, like in every right. way. Like there wasn't anything. I mean, it was completely yep. nothing, and we were still doing it. But that's the thing that was, you know, and because of that it became apparent that the band that Devin and I were in um, and the people in it were not committed in the same way or energized by the same thing. Right. So that was the big right. let. Like, we got right. out there and did that tour, if yes. you can call it a tour. We just drove places with instruments is really more what it was. Right. But <laughs> it was exhilarating in some sense because you figured something out or you knew something or you were... I mean, it's kind of, just kind of weird to think about. It's just the same feeling today you got to get there and you got to find it and is it going to be okay and you're going to be embarrassed and it's not good but maybe it's good and maybe something good could happen tomorrow and you're just that's the the kind of i remember starting to feel that feeling that i still have you know now it's like the daily feeling i have is the same as that tour i feel the same today as i did then like oh this is stupid but we got to try. We have to. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that it, it put it inside of me, and I was wrong. The very first show was in Charleston, South Carolina, and and that's important because if you remember, we played at some little, uh, I think even your sister was there, Matt. Maybe your, your, I think your family came and was staying at a beach house, but there was people at that little- Oh, um, yeah. We played a VFW. VFW right. hall. Oh, yeah. And yeah, there was yeah. actually people there, so I was like, oh, first show, man, there's mm-hmm. like you know, 15, 20 people. This tour is going to do it, and then we drove- all the way to Miami, right. little Haiti, and no one was there. And I was like, oh, right. this is what it is. But in, <laughs> it it did put inside me, like, I, I would have gone for the rest of the summer. I didn't care how much money it cost or anything. Like, just being on the road was like, oh, my gosh, this felt, it just felt real. I and mean, that's what I thought. Right. I just like, oh, it man. It was a real experience. The, I'm, I was on the road with my band, regardless of mm-hmm. what the income is or out, <laughs> outgoing money. Like, it felt like, oh, this is what I got to do. Well, let's go a sidebar here, because at this point – we make a decision to move. I mean, we have that experience, and most yeah. of the people involved said, "This is stupid." Yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> yeah, and some of us said, "This is not dumb." So, what was it that we so, didn't go do? I mean, if you think about it this way, I mean, I, I think about it like this: um, we were finishing college by this point, and you're supposed to start a career, and everybody's telling you what you got to do, what you need yeah. to do, and there's girlfriends and jobs and. You know, for instance, my dad owned a business that I could have had or taken over. And yet this is, I'd say no to that stuff. Let's try this stuff that, right. you know, it was powerful enough right. to continue that. <clears throat> and then, <laughs> you, you know, you know where the story's going here, but it, like, what were the things to pursue that was at the expense of what type of things for us? Like what would have been the normal path for 21 year olds that just discovered punk rock and skateboards? well it's crazy too i mean i'm trying to think time wise was that tour in the summer of 2000 or was it 99 it was the summer of 2000 well i don't know if that was 99 or 2000 i'm not sure i'm just trying to frame it in my mind again but 99 so 
So when we come back, we still have I still you know a year of school left, right. more mm-hmm. year and a half, two years almost, and so, and then we're starting to decide on. I'm like finalizing, you know, my music degree and all this stuff. And some people are doing education and, and our other band member, Seth, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't even remember what he was doing is, um, psychology or something. And then we had these other guys who had normal job. It was just like, I don't remember. I remember thinking this is what I would love to do, but I don't know if it's realistic. I just remember, you know what I mean? Right. Like I remember thinking mm-hmm. like, but what are we really going to do? Right. It's always in your mind. I think that's what everybody It's like. Yeah, you have these things that you would do or you'd like to do or it'd be awesome if you could do. But there's no path. But yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to blaze your own trail, I guess, but that's hard and most li- most often not successful. Yeah, so, I think we had seen Branson play at the Fat City Cafe in Charlotte yeah. for 30 yeah. people. Yeah. And I thought it was the best show I'd ever seen. And right. I thought, well, if you can have the best show you've ever seen for 30 people at a cafe, I bet we can get... I bet we can eventually do that <laughs> right now we couldn't get 30 people to come see us right. i understand that but i thought eventually i bet we could get 30 people to watch us play right and then i'd be 100 percent happy because that was so i mean what i saw with a show with 30 or 40 people where the band was leaving it all on the table and going for it was so amazing that i thought that right. seems achievable 30 people yeah that'd be good if we ever get to where they are now i'm a happy man well, that's true because all that stuff, like, especially, you know, Matt and I in high school and stuff like that, listening to the bands we did on the radio and everything, not really having any idea what independent music was. And all of a sudden in college, we start going to tons and tons of shows. Probably, I mean, probably just all the, I don't even remember. It was just all the time. Anytime we heard of a good show coming. And that, I think that really made us realize that all these bands weren't very big. Not that big. Right? It's like that was they're the normal good part. people like, who oh, are just you can do it. Yeah, yeah. These are normal dudes who are just going from city to city, like we did or tried to do. Right. But there's a few more people there. Maybe they're getting paid a hundred dollars. Maybe they're getting selling some merch. You know. So yeah, that put in my mind and in your guys' mind even more so as well. Is it's like, well, I guess you can just try it without dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Without like starving or not having yeah. anything. So I mean, that's that was a big part of it. Yeah, it's a time in life when other people are getting married and doing other things. And to me, it just seemed like, well, I could do that later, I guess, right? It, it, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think one thing here for me, too, is this was a it is a seriously uh, crux change point from, listen, we're, we're trying to finish up college. And the reason you go to college is to get the career to do the thing that you go to college for. And then I'm also trying to figure out, like, I become friends with you guys and I'm starting to fit into your crew, but Joey's my best friend and we have our band and we have our thing and y'all have y'all's thing. And so where, where do we fit? Because if you remember, I mean, y'all, y'all, well, I mean, y'all had years on my friendship with y'all, but still our friendships were really new and raw in this. <laughs> yeah. I'll go it's, real it's not, quick you know? backstory there. I've been hanging out with Devin and this is true. My first memory of Devin is him doing an impression of a baby crying at baseball practice when he was seven <laughs> and I was six. And I that thought it was true. funny as hell that Devin could actually sound like a baby crying. He was cutting up, like entertaining yeah. people with an impression, which he could still do do the do it, Devin. <laughs> <laughs> I do it for my kids now, they love it. That's so funny though, because I mean that's I mean that's that was God. when I was six years old, you know. That's insane. But yeah, you're right, Toby. I mean, we we had I felt like 
us and you, we were becoming like best friends and all that right. stuff. But you're right. It was still really, really new. I mean, our friendship yeah. was only a couple years old. Yeah, 100%. And I'm even thinking back now, it's funny because like back then, still like the idea of Joey having depression or uh, working through some mental stuff was didn't even like make sense. That didn't didn't even almost exist. I mean, literally back then, like in the 90s, depression was this weird commercial I would see where it was a lady that looked kind of sad and they said, can you not get out of bed? And, and like, you know, my, I was like, what is this? What are, what, is, what in the world is going on? And, and I can remember now too, like I, I'm certain even on that tour, Joey probably was struggling with certain things and, uh, it, just the whole idea of going on tour figuring out who we were and then trying to make the decision, wait a minute, don't do what you went to college for or, or you know, well, I mean, y'all, y'all were music majors, but still you were supposed to, you know, not do what, not do music. Music was just yeah. a thing. This like, right. it might as well be in French, French right. lit. You know what I mean? It wasn't, right. it wasn't what you were going to do <laughs> for a living. And, and this and is mo- still very life. far off from moving to Seattle and we still don't have Emory at this point. We're just exploring music and what, what any of this stuff is kind of a thing. And, doing ourselves so you know that summer leading up to that we had also done something else really important which was try to raise money and do the booking and all the legwork that would have gone into doing that tour which if you'll remember (laughs) it was really only us that did that work so Toby and I would go do sound I had a sound system I'd go take it down and do it for the bar bands and we save $75 and we take this trailer and you know, we'd make the flyers and we had to make a real record label because we said we were on a record label. So we made logos right. and went to Kinko's and paid flyers whenever we play at a frat party or anything else. And I tried totally to just forgot treat that it seriously. We, we sent letters to people, right? <laughs> for money. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. That's hilarious. We, we raised a yeah. real letter in an envelope said, Dear so and so. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. For we aim side. to do this and that and achieve this. <laughs> and we're here to really try. You know, it's just <clears throat> that's cool. Crazy. And then, but you know, the main point of it being that the other people that we had been involved with there, no offense to them. I mean, they may, were making good decisions, which is this is not a good idea and this is not my future, you know, is what they were right. understanding at the time. Right. Uh, but that wasn't the way I was feeling about it. <laughs> Feel about it. I was pretty damn excited. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's funny too now when I think back on it, like even our families, what did they think? Because mm. we, we at least had some clue of what it was like to go on a tour or play a show locally or something like that. Like they, they had seen like, uh, okay, for example, y'all's parents had seen your band simply Wayne's play some local shows, but there was, there never could have been a chance where they thought, Oh, this is something they're on to something, right? Like they didn't know there's, there's no way. And so, I mean, not only were we trying to figure out what music should we play? What do we want to sound like? What do we want to, be like, where do we want to take this? But also, I mean, like you said, nobody even could understand. There was no bridge to build that because we were back in the 90s, early 2000s eventually, just trying to mail things out and say we were something and we that, that a label matter. Like, I mean, imagine me talking to my family saying, yeah, we started a label. My dad couldn't even understand well, what they that They didn't know what meant. the word tour meant or <laughs> yeah. label, nothing it, that. What no does that way. mean? Well, yeah, it wasn't just that. It was, it was that... It was that there was a scene. Like if you went back to that time, there were real bands, and they were touring. It was a Get Up Kids were doing stuff, and Further right. Seems Forever was a band, probably or, or whatever. But only you know I mean? we would have known that. Nobody else, we even just at our, almost at our college, knew that. 
Yeah, we just were disconnected from it. So we were just doing some other weird thing in this limbo. Bar. All we knew is you call bars and try to play at the bars until two in the morning because you play music. That's just the, right. what the culture we came from. Yeah. And we still hadn't really understood scene, music scene. Like we still weren't anywhere near a music scene of any kind. Right. But we knew <laughs> we knew it existed. They just didn't know how. You meet those people and talk to them and play with them and they like you and you like you know you could see that that stuff existed but we didn't know how to how to access it at all so we'd, we'd booked that and we'd done that and because of that we you know again we'd see that the other people were not and so here in the story we go to until finally and finally we formed emory we we started playing Devin and i started playing more with joe 747 with toby and joey and thinking that was more and more satisfying yeah and eventually our band fell apart we just it just didn't wasn't gonna gonna go anywhere and that became more and more apparent and so we started saying well should we pay play with toby and joey or how's this gonna work or or whatever and we made the decision you know and you can tell as much of this story as part of this story as you like well well, don't jump ahead too soon that that's interesting it's interesting you said that too i don't want to i was in a band with joey so the idea of getting Either one of y'all who we thought was an established band. Like we thought simply Wayne Satchel. Like I mean, if y'all remember on the tour we booked, we let y'all headline because y'all were the y'all been yeah. y'all y'all know what y'all are doing. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like Joe Seven Forty Seven was the opening act. We're just our first tour. Y'all know y'all played bunches of shows, all that stuff. But uh it, it's interesting. Like the idea was we'd gone through a drummer or two, um, and then like Phil and uh, Will uh played drums with us but it wasn't working out nobody was coming in so devin playing drums with us i was like oh this is so awesome because you know maybe devin would sing some too or also just contribute way more than joey even actually could you know what i mean not maybe he'd he'd want to but like you actually played music you're a music major and all that stuff and then matt i don't remember when you came over and started playing with us it was probably towards the end right i guess because you didn't play with us as much as devin did you no, Devin was playing more. I, you know, I was like, I was pretty committed to to Satchel and Simply Wayne's. I just thought that yeah. was my thing, and I needed to make sure I was doing that. You know, but I was I was interested in recording, and I was like, okay, yeah. you it helped us really a ton fun whenever that I was could. the thing. Yeah, and you yeah, played so on a record like, well, a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I would play and record you guys, and just I was like, man, this is fun. This is this music has a different thing to it. Uh, so I'll do as much as I can here, you know, Hey, what, you know, this is pretty cool. So I'll, I'll try to be involved here. If our band gets big and your band gets big, we'll both be big together. It'll be great. But that's what I wanted. I I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to y'all about that. Did y'all feel any like pressure? Like you just said, did y'all feel like I've said, I felt like I was coming in to the, uh, into y'all's thing. Did y'all feel that like y'all were coming over to our thing? Was there any like uh, simply Wayne's guys not liking that like Devin played with drums with us or did they care at all was there any anything like that like y'all were moving from Simply Wayne's a little bit into the more indie scene instead of radio rock stuff I don't remember the other guys caring so. that much you know I think it was a <clears throat> yeah. situation yeah. where we were probably more loyal and careful and take it more seriously than was necessary when I look I back think. on it you know, I don't think anybody cared. I just felt like, well, I've got to take care of my guys. I got to make sure everybody's happy. I, I was probably right. in those mindsets of trying to facilitate e- everything to work well. Is is what I remember. Like, if I can get, I mean, from the very beginning, all it was was me. I got a guitar, and then I wanted somebody to play drums, so I would. Get, I bought a drum set. I saved up money and bought a drum set, so Seth could come over and play it. And then I bought a bass amp, and for Ronnie, he said, "Will you come play bass if I get a bass amp?" And I, you know, but that's just kind of my thing. I just want right. to 
do what I want to do. So I'll make it easy for everybody else and try to keep everybody together and try to make it happen. And then I'll get to do what I want to do. That's what I wanted to do. So I would, you know, and so, ooh, Toby's, I remember just thinking you had a spark of like creativity. It was on another level, you know, because Devin's right. We weren't really a functional band in that. We weren't writing whole songs with the front man expressing himself and really cutting it open and getting there. Right. And you were doing that. And so we just had songs and lyrics and chords and notes and a band and a trailer and lights or whatever. We just had whatever we had. But you were doing a thing that was like it was colorful and real and 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 done poorly perhaps but you could hear you know you could hear the potential and you could hear the the transcendent qualities of it and it was like very attractive yeah. and so it was it's, just like once exposed to it that's the direction i was headed but with obligation to other people still it's funny you say that too because like when i stepped in originally <clears throat> another one of our friends named gabe going back really far he was like the singer who kind of jammed with you guys and then I kind of, for some reason or another, I just kind of started hanging out and all this stuff. And I could sing, so I would kind of sing with Gabe. We'd both sing. And eventually Gabe, for whatever reason, didn't come around, wasn't doing it. And so I just kind of did it. I became the singer, and I was just yeah. a good singer, but that was it. I had no like creative, like I, I didn't want to write music. I didn't really care about that. I, I had no drive at that point. I didn't know how to write or play or anything. All I could do was sing really well. And so Matt and them were kind of that. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll sing this cover song. I can do that song. That's that's pretty, that's no problem. And, but you were kind of the opposite. I mean, you had a great voice, obviously, but you kind of were more like, man, I just have these ideas. I got to get them out. And you just got them out. But me, I kind of came in from the other direction. I kind of came in on, well, I can sing really well. I don't really care about writing music, but I really like music. But then all of a sudden, like, I just got this itch to write. So I started playing guitar, piano, kind of figuring that stuff out. And that was when I was like, oh, you can like actually write it. When you joined, did you even play the guitar much at all? No, I didn't play anything. Nothing. When you joined uh, Simply Wayne's, you didn't even play an instrument at all? I just sang chorus. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, so Matt, when I just, I became friends with these guys, I was like, hung out and they were like, well, Devin can sing really good. So just sing Silverchair. We'll sing Weezer, you know, whatever. Right. So I just started helping Gabe out with that. And then eventually I just kind of was the singer. And I that was just my thing. I could sing really well, but I had no notion of how to play anything or... That is crazy. I didn't know how, that at all. How to write. I didn't care about mm-hmm. writing music or anything like that. It, but you kind of came in from the other direction. I mean, again, yeah. you were a great singer, but you kind of had these creative ideas. It took me some years to kind of get to the point where I was like, oh, I really want to... Maybe I do want to write music. I didn't even think it's that was like, like a thing. It's like we didn't understand the idea of ex- like self-expression even. Yeah. Right. It wasn't yeah. even really, uh, I just thought you play the guitar the way you just you just play the guitar and you sing the notes. It, right. It didn't seem, it didn't, uh, yeah, you write a song, I, I guess, but the notion of like expressing yourself through your instrument and a song you would write to say something that you felt coming out was not just wasn't I didn't have that concept yet. I didn't I didn't even possess the concept. And so I was like, oh Devin has a good voice. If he uses that good voice to sing these notes, that'll work. And right. it's a little short sighted. Yeah, because I mean that's what I thought. It, yeah, that's what's cool about it is because like our technicality on our side mixed with Toby's emotional em, emotion, you know, kind of just that's what creates Emory. And that's what's really funny is like 
we had those before in two separate entities. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those existed before, obviously got better over time, but eventually combined and became what it is now. But it, it they started on the different ends of the spectrum. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. I just thought that's kind of cool. How I, that- I do think it's cra- kind of crazy too that like us three have always been the core of Emory probably. And it, like, I mean, we were all there from the beginning and we're still here and, and we probably contributed the most musically and, and, uh, career wise, like our goals and all that stuff. It's interesting that, uh, all of us not only had the desire for the music, but also to, to go that extra mile. Like all three of us said, okay, we, we graduated. Okay. Let's just move to Seattle. All three of us said, you know, like usually, it's, we haven't got hard, to that it's part yet. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. We'll, we'll, let's, we'll, maybe we'll get Maybe this is it. Might even be a. We talked longer than I thought on this. So maybe this is a good uh, teaser for the next episode. But uh, I love that idea that, like, uh, yeah, us three somehow were committed to something. I don't even know if we knew what it was back then. Uh, it's really yeah. hard to, to. I mean, I remember thinking of that point in my life as a, maybe a 19 or 20 year old. There was a girl that was an exchange student in. That's how Joey met his wife was an exchange student at our school. And there was another one that Devin Dave that we're friends with. And I couldn't believe it. They were just from other places and knew other things. I knew the yeah. world was big and out there. And I remember having a conversation. She said, well, what are you going to do? And it was the kind of question like you asked me, like, well, man, what, what are you, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, are you serious? Like, I'm actually supposed to know. Like, I don't. Right. And I just remember thinking, well, something will happen and there'll be an opportunity. And whenever the opportunity comes along. I'll do it. That's what I'll do. Like whenever something crazy, whenever there's something to do, I'll say yes. I, I just I knew that I would say yes if something's going to happen, and I'll I'll do it. That's the way I felt. I didn't know what it could be. I wasn't it wasn't even on my mind. I didn't have a plan or something. It's just like, well, I'll do something when it, you know it won't be normal and it won't be boring. And when it's time to do it, I'll say yes. That's just the way I kind of always had felt, yeah. you know. And I don't. Yeah. I mean, I didn't mean much at the time. I didn't really know what that was but i just had that sense like well other people are too careful i'll i'll just do something when i don't know what yet though that's the way i felt yep i was the opposite (laughs) i mean like in a sense of like it was more obviously a more conservative approach is like well should probably finish school get a job you know i'll probably get married pretty young i I mean it's just the normal things that i thought you know, well, I was and, super far off from like being able to get laid or get married or anything, so it didn't matter, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, it wasn't that wasn't on the really on the radar. Well, and it, even with relationship stuff, like you guys had girlfriends the same time I did, and then a big push for me—I don't have to go through all this—but a big push for me was when the girl I was dating for a long time and yeah. on and off with got engaged to her other boyfriend. I was like, "That's it. What do you guys want to do? <laughs> I'll do anything, <laughs> <laughs> whatever." That was, I mean, Nothing that was to lose, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, all right, well, here we go. Let's do something. Man, I, man if that wouldn't have happened, uh, you might, you, you probably wouldn't have gone with us, right? That, I mean, yeah, like, probably. I mean, no. Like you kind of need to get your heart broken to start Emory. Yeah. So we're not going to get to the part of us moving or anything like that. We're just at the well, point of yeah. playing in a That's okay. local band yeah. and trying to make a better local band is really as far as we've gotten. But we did decide to make our local band before we started, I don't even remember the timeline exactly, but we decided to start Emory itself before we moved or had the idea to move. No, I guess that's not quite true. Well, so you remember there was a, a time in between that mm-hmm. something was satchel. I don't remember exactly how it happened or what happened, but remember 
me, you, uh, Paul Vicnair, mm-hmm. and Ronnie, I guess, started That's right. this other band. Do you guys remember the name of it? I do. I uh, looked it up today. Oh. Kid, Iron Kid. <laughs> Iron Kid, yeah. yeah. We played one show at that little coffee house place. At a over coffee house. <coughs> open mic coffee near house the we college. got a gig at. And I remember. Downtown Joe Rock 747 Hill. played that show, too, Yeah, I think. And I remember, I think that was w- one night, I think that was when, to- I feel like Toby and Joey maybe thought something a little different about it, like, because it was more emo. Mm-hmm. Because we played The Secret. That was That's when right. we, oh, yeah. we wrote The Secret. And I remember Joey thought so awesome yeah. and all this stuff. And I think that kind of started maybe some wheels turning in Joey's mind more like, oh, maybe we can go this direction or something. You know, I don't right. know specifically, yeah, but I remember right. that was a change in everything. You know what I mean? So let me try to say it in, that, in those terms was we, our band was falling apart. We knew we didn't want to do music. Toby and Joey had this other band, but we had not yet combined. So me and Devin started writing songs inspired by what Toby and them were doing that were actually rooted in emotional stuff and expression. So Devin had finally come into his own, which was quite nice. And he, and then I'm sure I helped, but Devin wrote the secret, like the song that everybody likes now. This is the last track on the week's end. And this is 99, right around 2000, 20 years ago. Devin wrote the secret. He just wrote the song and we started learning it and played it. And we went and played it at a coffee house. Me and Devin, yeah, and who who played with us? Paul Vignair and we Ronnie, had a roommate, and yeah, yeah we just our roommates that we and yeah, that lived so. at our house came and we went and played and did that, and then that's the ver- the secret we evolved it a little bit, and that eventually wound up on the Columbus EP, which was Emery's first demo. So I am skipping ahead chronologically, but I'm going to play that. So um, um, amidst this time, uh, we you know Devin's you know we. Came up with something pretty cool. I'm not going to play it. You know why? Because it's eight and a half minutes long. <laughs> so we won't listen to the whole thing, but I'll skip around. As soon as Devin told himself the guitar and how to write music, he wrote an eight-minute <laughs> eight song. Eight-minute song. Yeah. All of our songs are long back then. I mean, it's slow developing here, too. I mean, so... <laughs> That's a fade outs in the track, by the way. That Love that snare sound. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's coming back. All right, not sure what's going on, but my audio is gone. What the <clears throat> hell? Hey, hey, hey! Check, check, check. Toby and Devin, you guys hear me? Yeah, we yeah. hear you. I don't. He- I've lost my audio. Yeah, I don't know why you're not on there, but uh, you're even on the live feed. So, but uh, while Matt's figuring this out, we do thank you guys all for joining us. It's been kind of crazy. Like, I got 130 people on Facebook. We got 40 or 50 over here on uh, Twitch. This is really fun. We're going to be go- chronicling and going through all of Emory's story and playing old music like this and uh, playing some live music and doing some different stuff. But uh, it's going to yep. be a fun little journey hopefully you'll join us for the next how many years is this going to take this will <laughs> last till we're about 50 
Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it'll take as long as it took to get to 2019, right? So we got, what, 20 years or so. Y'all can hear me? Yeah, now. totally. Yeah, so maybe y'all can hear me, but I can't hear anything. My audio is gone, so I want y'all to off. wrap the show No, the music's already off. And, oh, it is off now. Yeah, but it was right on the big part, and everybody's like, no! No! <laughs> All right, we're wrapping here. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been awesome. We're going to do more and more stories. There's a ton yeah. coming. Join Emory <laughs> Land. We appreciate it. Matt will fix it, figure out his audio. This has been a blast. Uh, whatever Matt's saying, I'm ending it for myself. Thank you guys so much. There's more to the story. The story doesn't have to end here, so we don't have to do what Matt says. Because he, he can't hear us and is annoying. So thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time. See ya. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.